This is the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Rick Nicely is the lead pastor. Uh, if you will, go ahead and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1. If you have been with us any length of time, you know that we basically go through books of the Bible here, and we teach through that. There'll be occasional time we may go through a different um, series on a particular subject or topic within Scripture, but typically we go, even with that, we'll be doing a partnership series right after Easter, but we'll be going through the book of Ephesians on that, uh, so it won't be necessarily a verse-by-verse, verse, but it'll at least be a, uh, following you through Scripture in that book. Um, as we start Book of Acts, we just wrapped up Luke just a few uh, weeks ago. It seems like a long time ago. Through Just missing last week seems like a long time, doesn't it? Uh, and uh, by the way, we're going to try to do our best next time something like that happens. We're going to have it hopefully lined up where either YouTube Live or Facebook Live that we'll be able to do something uh, kind of engaging there. So that hopefully that's going to work out. We'll have all that lined up. If I could have made it to Pete's house, we actually could have done a YouTube Live, and I just did not uh, make it. So I apologize for that. But we'll make sure that we do that next time. We're starting the book of Luke. I mean, starting the book of Acts today. But before we hit that, I. I want to hit a few things that some of you are familiar with and some are not. Many of you who've been with us understand our mission and vision and our core values. But I want to remind you that as we read through the book of Acts, you're going to hear so many of the things that we believe are our core values. And the great thing about that is you'll realize we didn't just make it up. <laughs> we didn't read it or take it from some website or, or, or buy some book and copy it down. But we went through Scripture and we went through the book of Acts. We went through uh, the letters that Paul wrote to the churches. And by the way, all those were church plants. So that's cool that all of those uh, new churches that Paul was writing to. But we went through and found these core principles that we believe should be the basis of our church. And so I'm going to highlight those real quick before we get into the text. Just so you'll begin to see as we cross those different core values, we'll be highlighting those things. So you, they'll sound really familiar and really repetitive. And, uh, and so just know that just as my, my kids tend to hear the same thing over and over from me at times, we know that that happens in Scripture as well. If you look at Jesus, he repeated the same parables, the same stories over and over. Why? Because that's how we learn. That's how we, we need to grasp because most of us have to hear things over and over before it finally clicks, and we get it. We do it in school. We do it in academia. So we're doing it in the church as well. It's a part of how we learn. Uh, our vision is this. We exist to glorify God by advancing his kingdom through obedience to his great commission. You can see it right here. Um, and anybody knows what great commission is, this is what it means. It means make disciples that make disciples that make disciples that plant churches, okay? So that is what the great commission is. We're to go in all the nations, and we're going to hear that this morning, going and making disciples, being image bearers and Christ-like to everyone we live, work, and play with. One of our core values is this, this idea of biblical authority, truth for living. God revealed himself through scriptures before the Bible I mean, therefore, the Bible is our ultimate and sufficient authority for life. Another core value is fervent prayer, cry aloud. That's why we have our prayer maps and we have our 21 days of prayer and fasting, not just individual, uh, but also corporate prayer. So we, we say it like this, fervent prayer, cry aloud. We prioritize individual and corporate prayer out of our desperation for God to advance his kingdom. And then also, we believe in authentic community. We believe we're wired and made for relationships. And this is how we say it. 
We are designed to do life together in self-sacrificing relationships that are genuine and gospel-centered, which is full of grace and truth. We also believe that our mission mandate does not stop here. We believe every believer is commanded to partner in the Great Commission and empowered by the Holy Spirit for everyday mission, which that's going to be a big part of what we talk about today in Acts 1. And then strategic multiplication is God's game plan, advancing God's kingdom by making disciples and empowering leaders that, church, that plant churches wherever God calls. That's what we're doing. And then also this idea of daily worship. In a response to a holy and merciful God, we express our delight in and our love for God through our actions, lifestyle, and work. We call that the all of God. And we do this all through a litmus test. Our litmus test is this. For the sake of the gospel, we strive to do all things with humility, simplicity, and excellence. Okay? So that's kind of a, who we are. If you came for the first time, you just got to hear in a nutshell. And you're like, okay, you can go ahead and leave now, right? You know, but we do have a message this morning. But I, I felt like it was just important. One, the new year starts. It kind of reminds us. We all start with those new year resolutions, right? That we want to eat better. We just start exercising or doing whatever we, we want to do better. But I, I think it's important to remind us at the beginning of the year who we are and what we're about here at Spotswood at Lady Smith. And it's also important because you're going to see it echoed all through the book of Acts, many of those core values, and many times over and over, you're going to hear and see that. So if you will, go ahead and turn to Acts 1. We're going to read uh, chapter, uh, verse 1, 1 through 15a. In the first book, Old Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. He said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus whom was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go up into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount, uh, mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when he had entered them, as he had entered, they went up to, to the upper room where they were staying, where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, and James, and son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these were one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. 
In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of the persons was in, was in about 120. I want to uh, kind of go back a little bit with Acts because what, what, what you need to understand is this. Uh, the, the book Luke-Acts is really a two-part of one really writing. So we have Luke, who was the writer of Luke, and we also have Luke, who was the writer of Acts. So basically, if you, if you read the beginning of, of the book of Luke, you see this idea of Theophilus, right? And so it's this idea that it's really uh, two volumes of one work. So we need to understand that and Luke was, was the author. But he was a traveling companion of Paul. And traditionally, it was known as the Acts of the Apostle. But I think it's better probably defined or, or labeled really the Acts of Jesus and His Spirit. Because we see right here, it says, And I produced my first work about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach, but now about what He continues to do and teach. So it was about what He had done, but now what He is continuing to do. The great thing is... We are a continuation of that story as the church. So we get to be a part, if you will, of Acts. Kind of, if you will, in Acts 29, another chapter in the life and work of Jesus and his church. So we get to be a part of this. Now, also, we need to understand Luke Acts is really summarizing this idea of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus taught us in his prayer. He says, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what we see is we see Jesus beginning to permeate heaven on earth. What does he do? He heals the blind. He calls the lame to see. He, 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 he cleanses the leopard, right? He, he even raises the dead. In other words, he's bringing back life where there was dead things, where there was disease and the effects of the curse. He's bringing life. He's bringing heaven to earth. Ultimately, he's doing the greatest miracle, which is to take a heart of stone, heart of rock, that is uh, completely enemy to God, and turn into a heart of flesh, who's something that was dead but now is alive, who was in darkness, now is in light. That is the ultimate um, miracle. So we see this happening. And also, as we read the book of Acts, we need to re remember a couple other things. One is this. The book is, is both prescriptive and descriptive. What, what do I mean by that? I think if you take the book of Acts and you read through it and you say, well, we've got to do it exactly, exactly, everything the way the books of Acts did it, we've got to do exactly just like that, then I would say that you're not correct. And why, why do I say that? Well, in the end of this chapter right here, it says that they're trying to replace a, uh, another apostle. And what do they do? They cast lots. I know you ever been in a church where they cast lots for the next small group leader? I've never been there. Have you? Uh, or the next elder? Okay. So, so my point is there, there are definitely things in here that are prescriptive. What I mean by that is we need to follow that. Okay. There's other things that Jesus, um, I mean, through the writings that uh, basically what's happening is it's describing what took place. Okay. So it's both prescriptive and descriptive. And we know it's a narrative because the Bible is made up of narratives, poetry, uh, prose discourse, but it's a narrative of telling the beginning works and the continuation works of what Jesus had began and began to do through his spirit and his church. The book of Acts is also filled, listen, it's filled with signs 
and wonders and tongues and prophetic words and healing the sick and raising the dead. But listen, that is not the point of the book, okay? Understand that. That is not the point of the book. The point of the book is really we see the heart of the scripture in, in Acts 1.8 where it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth, okay? It's incredible what God has done and what he continues to do. I think also we need to understand as we go into this is that there is a global message of Acts for us today, okay? And it's this. We get to share the gospel in word and in deed, in word and in action. Not just saying that we believe, but literally living it out. The also thing is that as it, as it started in the book of Acts, there is a diverse group of communities, okay? So in other words, in this room, we should represent Caroline County well. We, we should be a representation from both... Um, cultural backgrounds, economical backgrounds, okay, skin colors. We should represent, that's what the church looked like. If you read through the book, it represented nations. In fact, Jerusalem is kind of representing Acts 2 through 7. We see mostly God spreading the gospel through uh, Jerusalem. And then we see Acts 8 through 12 begin to go out into Judea and Samaria. In fact, Samaria was an arch enemy, okay? Uh, the, the Israelites... Jewish nation considered them half-breeds. Terrible way to view people, okay? But Jesus began to even show them how wrong that mentality was when he was here on earth. And we see the gospel begin to spread. And then eventually we see, even through Acts 13 to 28, we see to the ends of the earth, see? And so we, we need to understand in the book of Acts that there's this great idea of sharing the gospel, diverse communities. And by the way, that diverse community... There was both equality and there was generosity. One of the things that blows me away when I look in the book of Acts is the generosity of the first century church. These were people that had very little, but they gave it all. I mean, they sacrificed greatly for the gospel. Guess what? And it wasn't just giving it to some ministry. It was actually giving it to people. It was empowering the people to do the work of the ministry. So I think that's a big part. And also what you see too is this idea of entrusting in the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Some of the examples of the diversity is this. We see in this book that the gospel reaches to the four corners. We see in Acts 8, an Ethiopian eunuch, we see a Roman centurion in, in Acts 10. We see a lame person in Acts, or lame men in uh, Acts 3 and 14. We see a merchant woman in Acts 16. We see a Philippian uh, jailer in Acts 16. We see members of the religious elite in Athens in chapter 17. We see magicians and sorcerers in chapter 19. In other words, the grace of God welcomes all people of all backgrounds to the kingdom of God. The good news is for everyone and for all nations. So I want to encourage you as we walk through this, begin to look for those opportunities, how we see the sharing of the gospel and word and deed, how we see the diverse communities, both equal and generous. And we also see the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit through the first century church, which should be true of us today, right? Well, probably been waiting. That was a long introduction. 
So the big idea today is this. Jesus is leading his people, which if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you're part of his people, the spirit to go out into the world and invite all the nations to live under his reign. That is what he's calling us to do. And what do we mean by reign? What we mean by, and it's a word that uh, we, we really is lost in our society today because of the context, um, you know, really up to, um, you know, probably several hundred years ago that most places were kind of ruled and reigned by a king or a queen or, or some type of uh, uh, parliament or something like this. So this idea of reign and even lordship is kind of a lost thing in our society today. But understanding what we're talking about here is this idea that we're under the authority of Jesus Christ. And see, we need to understand when we, when we accept Christ, we're not just getting Jesus to get out of hell. What we're saying is, Jesus, we, we love you because we know we desperately need you and we can't fix ourselves up. We can't clean ourselves up. So we literally give our lives. We sign the title of our life over to you and we say, you're in control. It doesn't mean we don't struggle with our flesh. It doesn't mean we don't uh, struggle with things through that sanctification process, but it's this idea that we're signing over our lives to Jesus. We're saying, you're in control. I'm not. You created me. You know best. And so, and every, and what happens is, even though we're, we're made right before God through the work and the power of Jesus Christ and through his blood, we have to begin to live up to what God sees us as now, the perfect Lamb of God, because of the blood of Christ in our lives, we begin to walk in that freedom and begin to each area God begins to clean up different areas. We, we uh, unfortunately, the last couple of weeks have lived in a construction zone in my house, right? Right after Christmas, I think it was, or right before, I can't even remember now, but uh, there was, uh, we knew there was a small leak in our bathroom upstairs. But it became a giant leak that came through our kitchen ceiling. And uh, so we've had people in and out of our house for a solid two, two and a half weeks. And so it reminded me yesterday as the guy had hooked up an outlet, which didn't work. So the other electrician had to come in and get it fixed. And it seems like we've probably cleaned the house like five or six times, which is good because your house is cleaner than it was before. But we have to keep cleaning it because we have to use the kitchen as dust and wear vacuum and wet wet mop and and all kinds of stuff. So, but it reminded me yesterday as a guy named Louise was was helping us and he goes, I'm sorry, I made a mess. And I said, no problem. And I, I just thinking how Jesus, I, I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, Rick, you know, there's still things in your life that, that I need to do this. There, there needs to be some renovation of your heart. Um, there, there needs to be areas where I still chip away, and, and I'm going to bring things out that are dead. They, they need to be brought alive, and I need to vacuum things up and clean things and wipe things off. And listen, that's a part of what God does when we surrender to him under his rule and reign in, his life, in our life. We, we are justified before God, but that sanctification takes time. So I want to introduce us to a few things as we talked about one and two, we, as we go through verses three through 11, it's this idea of understanding King Jesus on God's kingdom. So what we see is this, we see Jesus, it talks about how Jesus went and he presented himself alive to them after his suffering and many proofs and appearing to them 40 days and began to speak about the kingdom of God. But even before that, we see Jesus beginning to restore the kingdom of God over the world. 
We talked about how God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. We just prayed in a back room. I love Matt's prayer, and he says, you know, we, we serve a king who was homeless and didn't own a home. He was never married, never wrote, a, never wrote uh, any books. I mean, we have the word of God, but he didn't physically write it, right? He, did, he never ruled any place on earth. He never owned anything, but we serve him as king. That's an upside-down kingdom, right? But he came to sacrifice for his life for us, to, to make peace with the wrath of God. And so he came to restore the kingdom of God over the world. He also is calling Israel to follow him in all the nations. We also see that he, in, he was enthroned by his death, burial, and resurrection. So we see Jesus, when he was raised on the cross, it said the king of Jews in three different languages. Because everybody that passed by was declaring his enthronement because he was declared king by be- defeating death, sin, and the grave. And then we see Jesus in, in verse 4 saying, hey, we're asking you to stay because there is a promise of the Father that I want to give you. This is a promise of the Father who actually was promised all the way back in Isaiah 32 as well as Ezekiel 36 and Joel chapter 2. This is fulfillment of the prophetic hope that we have. This is also, this fulfillment of the Holy Spirit will symbolize, and you'll begin to understand for the first time, that the temple was never to be made, wanted a permanent space in man. This tabernacle or temple, was the, the dwelling place was never to be in that place, but to be his people, in his people, right? And so the tabernacle The temple of God is now you as a believer. The Holy Spirit fills you as a believer. Now you are the temple of God. Now God's Spirit dwells in you, and you take God everywhere you go. And that's why we see the the curtain torn, that Jesus broke down that divide, and now he's going to give us the promise of the Holy Spirit, ultimately to live, to rule, and to reign for him. Acts 1, again, I've read it. I want to read it again. It's this idea of our mission and our goal and our purpose. It has all wrapped up in one, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. I want to skip down to uh, verse 10, and then I'm going to come back to verse 8. But verse 10 talks about this idea that... Um, and while they were gazing into heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is that picture of Daniel 7, Jesus enthroned as the son of man. Jesus is exalted as king of the world and ultimately promising one day to come and settle everything once and for all. He's going to bring with him a new heaven and a new earth, and we get to be perfectly human and perfectly alive with new bodies, and we get to spend eternity with him. Imagine, I love, I love the outdoors. I mean, I love the planet. It's beautiful, right? Some of you guys have been parts of the world that I only dreamed to go one day. I've been to... Uh, I went to Egypt one year as a mission trip, and we went down there on the Red Sea. Only found out later that it's infested with sharks. But uh, we went scuba diving, and uh, we, we went into this place called the Blue Hole. No one's actually found the bottom of it. It's over, they've recorded over 900 meters. And it's only like, 
maybe less than 100 yards offshore. It's just straight down, okay? I wonder if it was the, the drain that God used to pull back the water. It's just my thought sometimes. But, uh, you know, it, 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 it's beautiful. I mean, every kind of tropical fish you can think of. But think about this. One day we're going to get to go and walk when the lions lay down with the lambs. Think about that. We'll go and pet grizzly bears. I mean, think about what that will be like, all right? I mean, it'll be hard because I, I want my bow and arrow, but it, it, you know, it, it, will, it, will, it will be breathtaking, right, to think about that because it's going to be a place without the curse, without the fall. And this place is beautiful, but we, we're still under the curse of this old world. So I'm going to go back to verse 8 because that's really where I want to spend the bulk of my time here at the end. It's this idea that God has given us, listen, in this This is really the, if you will, the mission, the goal, and the purpose of the whole book of Acts in Acts 1.8. Let me read it again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. So I want you to write down, if you're keeping notes, write down this idea of power, this idea of being, okay, being. We... We're, this, this unstoppable force of God's movement, the church and the gospel, okay? I want you to understand that it's about being, doing, and going. So this idea of being is the power of God living on us. See, we cannot be fully alive and fully human without the being, okay? And the only way we can be like Christ is through the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do that on your own. The scriptures say that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. Unless we're plugged into the vine, we cannot bear fruit, right? It would be like if trying to bear fruit without the Holy Spirit living in you. It's like going over to one of these cork boards and just stapling live leaves on that cork board. Why? Over time, they're just going to die and flake off. It's not real fruit. It's artificial. So this is the reality. Unless the Spirit of the living God is dwelled in you, You cannot truly be like Christ. In other words, you cannot be what you were designed to be from the beginning, image bearers of the living God. We're we're to be image bearers of the living God. So who am I created to be? You're created, if you're, you're here for the first time, you've never heard this, you're created to be image bearers. Okay? You're the you're you're a Mago Day. You're made the image of the living God. You're, you're to be image bearers of the living God. And so you're designed to do that, but the only way you can do that is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I want to make it very clear that the Scripture says, First, uh, uh, Second Corinthians 1, that He has anointed us, He has put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And all the promises of Christ are yes in Christ Jesus. So understanding this, that when you put your faith in Jesus and you confess that you're a sinner and you repent of your sins and you say, God, I cannot fix myself. I cannot clean up myself. I need you. Will you rescue me? Will you come into my life? I surrender to you. Okay? My Bible says that you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him that you will be saved. If it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Why? Because now we have the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit living in us. And people think that Holy Spirit's a new thing. 
I got news for you. It's not. Genesis 1. Let me read to you. Verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. How about that? The Spirit of the living God. We, we freak out about the Holy Spirit. We don't need to freak out. He's the third person in the Trinity. He's not an it, by the way, okay? He's a person, a person in work of the Holy Spirit. So we see just as there where something was void and without form, and the Holy Spirit brought life empowerment, right? This is what he's doing to our lives, is that he wants to empower us. Listen, so what's the next thing? He wants to empower us to be. That's who we are created to be, to be image bearers. Second thing is this idea of purpose, to do. What am I created to do? Well, I'm created to be a witness, if you will, or a disciple of Jesus, so I'm to be like Jesus as imagers, but I'm not, I don't stop there, but I'm actually a disciple maker. So I make disciples that are to be like Christ as I follow Christ. This is how God set up his church. Now, it seems, again, odd to me. It seems like an upside down kingdom that he would use broken people like me and you to produce disciples, but that's how he does it. He chooses to use us even though we're broken, even though we're messed up. We carry the living water of the Holy Spirit in us, and we're to be poured out on other people's lives. So Spirit pours in us, and we're to pour out on others. If we never get wrung out, we rot. Can I tell you that? If you're a believer here and you don't have someone you've ever discipled, you ever poured into, or maybe you've never been discipled, can I tell you something? You're at the right place. This is who we are. This is what we want to do. You can find me. You can find someone else in here that looks like they may uh, be a leader or someone who's volunteering, and we will find you someone who can pour into you, or we'll find someone that you can pour into, okay? This is who we are. This is what we do, and this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to do what God created us to be, and what I'm created to do is to be a disciple maker and then we see both the, we see the power, we see the purpose, and we see the plan. Go. Where, where, am, I, where am I created to go? It's, it's this position, if you will. So you have design, purpose, position. These are, these are the biggest questions in life, by the way. And if you go back to the beginning of Genesis, you see the same thing. You see this idea of this same thing, power, purpose, plan, being, doing, going. So we're... For to go where we live, work, and play. Let me, let me describe it like this. John 10, 10, B says this. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. See, we don't just have life, but we have it more abundantly. And by the way, eternal life doesn't start when we go to heaven. It starts today when you accept Christ as your Savior. Eternal life is to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. So we take hold of abundant life when we who... Uh, we're uniquely created to be, we do what we're created to do in the place where we're created to go. In other words, it's kind of like a sweet spot. Does that make sense? Uh, some of you maybe played softball or baseball back in the day, or maybe you still play wiffle ball. I don't know, okay? But um, I, I don't know if I was ever a home run hitter, home run hitter, like, you know, like a lot, but I hit my share of home runs, okay? And um, I still remember the field down in Chesterfield where I hit my, 
my first home run, I was probably like seven or eight years old. And it was all-star, and I didn't, I didn't get to start, but I, I got to go in. The, guy, the, the coach brought me off the bench, and the first time up, I got a single, and the second time up, I got a home run. And I was stoked. I still have that little baseball at home somewhere. It's probably on my junk downstairs in my basement, right? But what I remember about hitting my first home run was this. It didn't even feel like I swung the bat. I mean, it, it's almost like I didn't even feel the baseball hit the bat because it hit that spot where it's like the sweet spot on a bat that the ball just ricochets off. Now, today they got aluminum bats in softball and college baseball and high school, and those, those things got double and triple walls, and so they, they definitely rock it out of there, right? But it's this idea of even when you hit that, it's like your sweet spot. And so let me describe what I'm, what I'm talking about with this, this idea of going. It's, it's what church historians have called really two parts to your calling. You have, a, you have a primary calling, and you have what you call a secondary calling. Your primary calling, we don't have to discover it. We, we know what it is right here is to, to, to be image bearers, to be witnesses, to do that where we live, work, and play. But we also have... Uh, this, this idea of a, a, a second calling. So our primary calling is to make disciples, right? So it's this idea that unites all of us through generations. But there's a secondary calling where we would call our sweet spot. In other words, God uniquely designed you with certain gifts and talents and abilities that he wants you to serve for this. I love reading where it says David fulfilled his purpose and his generation, Right? And so we have people right here in the pews, in the seats. They're not pews, sorry. In your seats. They're comfortable. Don't go to sleep, okay? But we have you, and God has uniquely designed you for certain things for this generation. And God wants you to use them for his purpose and for his glory, okay? So uh, I want you to understand that. It's probably better described in Ephesians 2, 10, where it says this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God gives each of us a unique calling so we can play our unique role in carrying out the fullness of Jesus in every corner of society. See, God is beginning to build an army, a family in this place that goes out and not just fulfills their primary calling, but fulfills it through their secondary calling so we can experience that abundant life and we can truly get joy out of serving others and making disciples. But God, the creator, has uniquely designed each of you with a function in a way that is for purpose and significance. Uh, There's a a 15th century Puritan that described it really good, and I want to describe how he described it. His name was Cotton uh, uh, Mather. He illustrates it like this, a boat with two oars, okay? Imagine a boat with two oars in it. Reminds me of the Andy Griffith episode we just watched with the kids the other night. Uh, But it's this oar, uh, or these oars that are, the, the one oar is a primary calling, the, the second or is the uh, second or is the secondary calling. So, to, to go where you want to go, you have to row both oars, right? At the same time, you got to keep them in the water. Now, there may be adjustments where you pull one a little bit more than the other at times to direct you, but it's this idea, or, or imagine a kayak having two to get you where you need to go. So, one or is our primary calling, the, the other is a secondary. To move the boat in a specific direction, you need both. If you have no oars in the water, what happens? You drift, 
right? You go wherever the river, and by the way, you'll go wherever culture takes you, okay? If you're not making disciples, you'll eventually fall right back into the old stuff. If you're not specifically filling that role that God's called you within that area of making disciples, this is what's going to happen. You're just going to go in circles, okay? Just going to go in circles. So God has, has designed you with a primary calling of making disciples, right? Reproducing, that make disciples, that make disciples, that plant churches. But it's also this, this secondary calling where he's, he's using you in society. He's using your sphere of influence to use what God has uniquely designed you for and with to make disciples, to influence that part of culture, that part of our county, or that part of society. This is what God is calling you to do. So we have to have a, both a, a primary calling and a secondary calling. Our primary calling is to be disciples who make disciples. And our secondary is within the context of where we live, work, and play to fulfill those unique callings that God has on your life. There are some people... We're all, by the way, we're all called to go. It's where we go, okay? And some of us are called to be right here in this county or to be within a certain industry or to be, um, you know, a certain uh, ministry. And others may be called to go around the world to reach a people group. But we're all called. And even within that, you know, what I've found is this. Sometimes I have to go halfway around the world to figure out the light that shines the brightest actually shines, I mean, the farthest actually shines the brightest here at home. I, I've, I've went to places and realized, oh, I could be doing this right in my backyard. I, I've spent hundreds and thousands of dollars to go another continent to only figure out that I should be doing this right in my backyard. So understanding that it's not a, it's not a if then, it's a both and, okay? So it's this idea we're to go, but we're to do it within the calling that God has uniquely designed for your life. So I want to ask you this big question this morning. Are you being, are you doing, are you going? Have you found your sweet spot? Where, that, where is that? That God has uniquely designed to, to make disciples, right? To, to go out uh, with purpose, to, to, to be a witness, to be a disciple maker, to, to, to live out like Jesus lived. But to also go in those areas in specific giftings and talents and abilities. And again, it doesn't mean that God won't call you outside that sometimes. I know there's been seasons of life for me that God has called me to, to work outside my gift set at times only to rely on him more. Okay, But many of us are here today and we're not actually being. In other words, we, we've never been a time where we've confessed Christ we don't know what it's like to be fully alive. We don't know what it's like to be free. We don't know what it's like to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And others are here today that we, we've accepted Christ, but we're not putting any oars in the water. We, we haven't made disciples that made disciples that are planting churches. We're just, we're just kind of drifting. All right? And maybe some here today, we've got one oar in the water and we think we're, we're making disciples, but we're not really using the gifts and talents that God's given us to, to truly fulfill everything that God has for us. Will you stand? We're going to have people here this morning. Um, they're going to be here available for you to talk with, to pray with, to encourage you. 
But I, I just want to ask you that first question with every head bowed and every eye closed. Do, do you know Jesus? Has there been a time where you've confessed him, you've surrendered to him, you, you allow him to rule and reign in your life? And if there isn't, today can be that morning. The Bible says we confess Jesus the Lord. It's not a magic prayer. It's an attitude of the heart. It's a surrendering of the will that I'm going to confess Jesus and believe in him and give him my life. And it also is this idea of saying, from now on, I'm going to turn away from my sin and self and I'm going to give my life to you wholly. So recognizing your condition, surrendering to, and then finding yourself in and around other believers that can encourage you and challenge your heart. If you've never done that, this is, this is how I would describe a confession. Father, forgive me. I'm a sinner. God, I, I need you to forgive me. I can't clean myself up. I can't make myself right. I, I know there's a punishment for sin. And, and Jesus, thank you for paying for, the, for my sin. And, and not just paying for my sin, but rising again. And now I know I can have forgiveness of sins. I can ha- now have a relationship with the, the Father who created me. And God, I, I just ask you will, you, will you fill me with your spirit? And will you help me to live for you as I turn away from my sin and myself? And the Bible says if you prayed that prayer and, and you surrendered your will and you, you trusted with your mind and your heart, God, the Bible says now you're born again. The Bible says you're, you receive his spirit. And, and we want to encourage you. So if you've done that this morning, will you let someone know? Would you, every head bowed and every eye closed, would you, would you just slip up your hand? I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to pull you out, I promise. Anybody else? Father in heaven, God, if, if there's anybody here this morning that this being, doing, and going, God, there's, they've gotten bogged down. God, they're not making disciples. They're not using their gifts, talents, abilities for your kingdom. God, would you just allow us to confess that, repent of that, and God, find our way in your kingdom doing your work. Know the people up here to pray with, to pray for, if you need any of that this morning. Father, thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Lady Smith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. These podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play. You can also find the video version of the podcast on our YouTube channel. Just go to spotswoodls.org and click the YouTube link. Thanks for listening, and God bless you.